The Scottish FA Cup fourth round. Brecon City nil. Dundee United one. Clydebank against Burnian as a late kickoff. Dundee one. Meadowbank Thistle one. Hamilton Academical one. Motherwell two. Stage seven of the Tour de Cosse is about as close to the traditional transitional stage as we'll get. It's designed to get us from Glasgow to Edinburgh with as little fuss as possible. And after heading back up to Airdrie where we were yesterday, we pick up the National Cycle Network Route 75, much of which is off-road as it takes us across to Livingston. We're avoiding most of the significant climbing in the area. The famous Bathgate Alps is just across the way. That really is West Lothian cycling mecca. But we've got to go via Livingston Football Club. And so that is what's keeping us on the low road. Once we reach the outskirts of Edinburgh, we'll wiggle our way into the city and tick off another couple of clubs, Heart of Midlothian and Hibernian. Hibs actually play in Leith. And so that will be our final stop before dropping down to our hotel on the waterfront. The route is about 90 kilometres long, very little in the way of climbing, so should be a nice easy day in the saddle. It's uh, 7.17 on Thursday morning, stage 7 of this section of the Tour de Cosse today. Stage 7 of 9 before we head back home and we'll do the second half of this tour later on in the summer. Um, and another broken night's sleep for me. I really haven't been sleeping well since we had the news about Richard. Every night's fallen into a bit of a pattern, really. I'm pretty tired by the time I get to bed, and then I wake up around sort of two, three-ish, and then I'm awake for a couple of hours, um, and then maybe I get a bit more fitful sleep, and then wake up again before the alarm goes off just uh yeah i'm not i don't really want to add up the number of hours that i've been managing to sleep but i'm going to tentatively look out for the window peel back the blind a white sky damp road but no rain so our journey today takes us all the way across to edinburgh Richard's home city of course and well as you'll know if you've been listening to this series I've seen the significance in everything and the symbolism in everything and today is the day of Richard's cremation service over in northern France and I know um, some of my colleagues have been over to see Richard's wife and just share a bit of time, spend time with Virginie and Maxime and I know some of Richard's very close and longest oldest friends are over in France for the service and I know well I'm acutely aware of what time it starts and um, it does feel like a it does feel like the um, a, a, a significant point in this journey, um, both the cycling and uh, and the grief that we're feeling, that I'm feeling, that uh, sort of comes in waves and doesn't really sort of 
fade away and, and when it does fade away there's just a a big hole a big void where Richard was because the one thing I know is that if he was here he would be sending messages to me and Simon to <laughs> I'd like to say motivate and they would motivate in a way but they would be to um, you know ask us whether we'd managed to get ourselves out of the car park yet whether we'd left the hotel yet or how far into the journey we were we'd be looking at the dot and, and mocking our slow progress I'm absolutely sure of it so we'll ride into Edinburgh today and not that he hasn't been ever present in my thoughts since we set off but uh, I think it will be especially keenly felt today The Scottish FA Cup fourth round. Brecon City nil. Dundee United one. Clydebank against Burnian as a late kickoff. Dundee one. Meadowbank Thistle one. Hamilton Academical one. Motherwell two. Out of Midlothian against Celtic. A do-it-yourself buffet breakfast this morning in Strathclyde Country Park, Simon. I thought you'd appreciate that I've made the grilled tomato the centrepiece right in the middle of my plate. Oh no! Oh. Well, it it it's added some much-needed colour to your plate, <laughs> and it does look pretty, but it's pretty much inedible. Well, cooked breakfast is beige, isn't it? We've got haggis, black pudding, hash browns, tatty scones, mushrooms, sausage. Not gone for bacon today. Um, you've gone veggie there: poached eggs, hash brown, beans on toast. Sam, eccentric, I think, <laughs> poached egg on what appears to be untoasted brown bread. Yeah, that's as toasted as you can get it. That was, that was as toasted as a toaster will go, honestly. Ah, that's a toasty. That's level three. On level three on the toaster. Um, warm bread, uh, two hash browns and three sausages. <laughs> I use the good toaster on the right there. Honest assessment of physical condition and morale this morning. Uh, <coughs> um, uh, I'm keen to tick off some kilometres. Um, then I know from previous day you start feeling better, don't you? Once you've once you've you've got a few under the belt, you feel better. But can 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 you hear the wind? Yeah, it's windy, isn't it? It's quite chilly. Um, yeah, I want to get to that bit where you start feeling better. So, it, it, honestly, mm. six out of ten, or is that optimistic? No, it's a six. Yeah, six out of ten. I think so. Yeah, I, I think if we can, if we can get through today, we can, <coughs> we can see the the Alloa equivalent of the Eiffel Tower, whatever that is. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's the lure of Alloa Athletic against Clyde on Saturday afternoon at the end of our ride, but a fair few kilometres to tick off before then. Um, and I think today, as I've already said, is uh, is one of significance to us um, because it's a day that Richard's closest friends and his family have said farewell at the service. Um, but I think today we, we will have Richard in our hearts and hopefully, I mean, you know, if, if there's a headwind, then that's definitely Richard laying that on for us, isn't it, as a joke? <laughs> if there's a tailwind... 
uh, he's taking pity on us I think so I'll bear that in mind but in the immediate aftermath of Richard's death so many people have sent us messages and emails and every single one of them has been hugely appreciated I haven't been able to read many at the moment because it's all just too raw and obviously the place in people's hearts uh, is apparent people who've never met Richard but felt like he was a friend because of the cycling podcast but one person who did get in touch last week was Teo Gagan Hart the Ineos rider former Giro d'Italia winner of course and proud Scott like Richard and I very much appreciated him reaching out to us because it struck me that the Ineos riders and staff went through their version of this when Nico Portal passed away in similarly shocking circumstances in March 2020 right at the start of lockdown or just before lockdown when coronavirus was sweeping across Europe and and uh, I think it wasn't until I listened to Richard's excellent kilometer zero on Nicolas Portal during that year's Tour de France that I realized the strength that all the riders and staff drew from one another when they came together to remember and try to honor their colleague and friend and it's made me think a lot about how cycling deals with tragedy and grief and it's always struck me as incongruous when a rider is killed in a race that there's a day of memorial when the peloton goes slowly and everyone pays their tributes and we've seen different types of tribute over the years haven't we with with teams taking it in turns to ride on the front just to get from a to z get the next day stage under the wheels and then the following day it's back to normal business is normal and the the gloves come off and the the racing starts and everyone gets back to doing what they love doing and I suppose in our own small way we're doing that because Richard loved cycling he loved covering cycling he loved podcasting he was a natural at it and so we've we've tried to do our own little version of that this week um, and yeah I think today is uh, is the day we arrive in Edinburgh and I think it would be appropriate as we roll out that we have a little bit of slow radio a feature which I know divides not just the listeners but the cycling podcast core team Richard thought it was a great idea I think Daniel maybe would have shaken his head at the eccentricity of it all um, but I was in the middle I think there's something calming and quite beautiful about just hearing the sound of cycling and the sounds of cycling very often are just just the outside world and the thoughts in your head aren't they
The Tour de Course is sponsored by Super Sapiens. The system of continuous glucose monitoring is helping keep Lionel in his performance zone as he tackles the beautiful game on two wheels. Use Super Sapiens to unlock your potential and fine-tune your fueling strategy for better results. Find out more at supersapiens.com. I just wanted to say a bit about Super Sapiens. They're our title sponsors, of course, and they played a role in my weight loss journey over the past 18 months because there's absolutely no doubt that my enjoyment of this cycling tour has been transformed as a result of losing the excess kilos I was carrying. It was actually my first experience of using the Super Sapiens sensors and system in the summer of 2021 that raised a bit of an orange flag for me. The glucose data readings and my conversations with the various experts, including Dr. Kevin Sprouse of the EF Education Pro Cycling Team, made me seek some medical advice for my own doctor. I basically noticed that the glucose levels peaked and dipped quite dramatically, and although my doctor quite rightly warned against using the data to make any medical diagnoses of my own, she did state the obvious just by looking at me, which was that I needed to lose a bit of weight. A couple of things that I'd noticed very early on was how much my glucose spiked after certain types of food, especially white rice and pasta. And so I made a few small changes, swapping out white rice for brown rice and just cutting down my portion sizes. When I reduced my portion sizes, I noticed that the peaks and dips in my glucose levels evened out too. And I suppose that was a visual representation of the benefits of moderation. Anyway, we're very grateful to Super Sapiens for supporting the cycling podcast these past two seasons, and that support has enabled us to create a series like the Tour de Cosse on top of our grand tour coverage and all our other shows. And personally, I'm very grateful too, because that little bit of information raised an orange flag and prompted me to make some changes to the way that I was living. It's been very rewarding to not just be able to keep up with Simon, but actually dish it out to him a bit on the climbs. Coming past... Oh, sorry. Sorry, that's all right. No, it's all right. Didn't, didn't mean to sneak up on you. Morning, big man. <laughs> oh. Gave that man a bit of a fright. He was pushing his pushchair, walking his dog, just putting his phone away. <sighs> And there's me calling the dog Big Man. I mean, I've only been in Scotland seven days. <laughs> but, out of his skin. <laughs> poor man, yes. Apologies. If you were walking your dog and pushing your pushchair about ten miles from Bathgate on Thursday, April, or whatever this is, I apologise for sneaking up on you. But yeah, calling the dog Big Man, picking up the lingo. Morning. Morning. Did you see the sculpture of the iron legs back there in various different poses, Simon, next to the railway line? I did. It was almost like they were modelled on my, my own iron legs. <laughs> I'm currently attached to the bottom half of my body. Do you, do you mean iron in terms of strength or iron in terms of just no longer feeling anything? Bit of, bit of both for me. Weight. Really? Yeah. Heavy legs. You're going, you're going well, even today when, when I thought you might crack a bit. You shoot, you're shooting up there, the little rises, and I'm, I'm having to grip my teeth a bit to hang on. And I've got to say, it's a bit annoying. The training and the weight loss has definitely made me feel better. 
on the bike. When you were saying earlier this week, you know, the 20 kilograms, 20 bags of sugar carried about my person. I mean, we, I should say I'm riding, well, we're both riding good bikes, aren't we? I mean, we're not really riding the sorts of bikes that some of the terrain, uh, you know, they're not quite suited for, are they? We came through the woods and through the mud and the puddles. It was all a bit Wout van Aert, Matthew van der Poel cyclocross there, wasn't it? I was, I was gritting my teeth a bit, thinking about all the mud wearing away my brake blocks. But the bike I'm riding, you know, hands up, all honesty, we're not doing full-on hardcore bike packing. We haven't got luggage for this stretch. Um, but I'm on my Look 675 light frame, which I treated myself to. Well, it was partly a birthday present, 40th birthday present for my parents and my partner and myself to myself. And uh, yeah, Zip 303 wheels have been a little bit twitchy in the crosswinds. Um, not the most comfortable, you know, long riding position, but I've got through okay. And But like you say, it's that uh, lightweight bike, a real bonus on the rises. And you're on your very elegant Orbea, Simon. So we've come with our race bikes, which when people see the Strava files, they might wonder how it's been possible to go quite so slowly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all a stopping and starting, isn't it? You know, you're slowing down coming to a halt, getting going again. At the end of the day, you've still got to cover the kilometres. You're on course to take the Tour de, de Cos uh, leader's jersey and carry it through to the finish line. I was just wondering what, what design that would be. Good question. What would the Tour de Cos jersey be? I think it would be, it would be a good classy Scottish blue wouldn't it with there'd be some detailing on it there'd be uh, maybe some kind of pattern to represent all of the Scottish football clubs yeah. little coloured strips maybe around the sleeve or around the chest something like that maybe something for the listeners to suggest unless you have a monumental breakdown in the next couple of days physically it's all yours. Well, there's still the second half of the Tour de Cos later in the year. And uh, you, you'll be doing the GB Duro as training for that, I understand. Certainly will not be. But you have, you have an entry. I do have an entry, yes, line-up. And I've been keeping it tucked away as secret information. Let slip this morning. And I'm expecting some, well, well your, your words were, you need to be going a hell of a lot better than you are now if you're going to do that. I felt bad the minute the words were out of my mouth there, but uh, <laughs> you just adopted the kind of bike packing time trialist position there, elbows on the handlebars on sort of fake time trial position. I couldn't do the GB Duro, I know that. Anyway, let's push on to Bathgate. Well, this cycle path to Bathgate is a joy, isn't it? We've come past a lock next to the railway line. The surface is glorious. We've got a little bit of a cross tailwind and it's helping the kilometres tick by nicely. And although it's a grey old day, it's actually very pleasant to be out, isn't it, really? It's not, not as cold as it's been. It's currently not raining. That's always good. 
and um, yeah, the legs feel all right in my case. Anyway, I'm 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 trying to bear in mind that you're feeling not as good as you might. Simon. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Oh, that sounds like a challenge. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> I'll be back in the summer. When I've done two weeks at the Giro and three weeks at the Tour and I'm I'm 40% cheese and you're dishing it out in the Chilterns. I always thought, OK, he's, he's obviously a bit cleverer than me. I always thought, oh, but sure, I can, I can kick a football around, I reckon, a bit better than you. <laughs> but... Yeah, cycling was yours as well, and I, I had it for a while. But this is temporary. Temporary. Uh, you dip in form. You've 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 not had a great start to the year. That's all. <laughs> You'll come strong. I was thinking about some of the rides I've done with Richard, or we've we've done with Richard, or you've been there. One of the first rides I ever did with Richard was. Do you remember that two-night? Uh, tour of live events that we had with Ned Bolting, Richard, Daniel, myself and Ned Bolting. First night was in Nottingham and the second night was in Manchester and it was all put together by our publishers, Yellow Jersey Press at the time. They published Ned's book and they published the first cycling podcast book eventually but they also published various books of Richard Daniels and uh, the cycling anthology which I founded with Ellis Bacon and they put together this two night uh, well, series, a two-night series, well, two nights of live shows, and it was obvious at the time that Ned Bolting was the big draw. He was the, the star of cycling broadcasting, wasn't he, on TV, ITV's Tour de France coverage, interviewing all the riders before and after the stages, and I think we were under no illusion that we were sort of the support act. Uh, but Ned suggested, hey, why don't we ride from Nottingham to Manchester? So we did the first event and I remember being pretty nervous but we got through that quite well and it went well and then we got up in the morning to ride to Manchester and the weather was not favourable was it? And I had a puncture within two minutes of leaving the hotel in Nottingham which we made a bit of a meal of fixing. You were in your camper van Simon offering a bit of assistance and I suppose I was having a slight sense of humour failure because it was cold, wet, I'd had a puncture, it was a long way um, Ned and Richard both going a lot better than me at the time and we were going up some stupid steep hill Ned dancing off into the distance and suddenly Richard came flying past me in very close proximity to your camper van he'd been holding onto the wing mirror up this climb this very wing mirror this very wing mirror, yeah and he was laughing and you know, and I was sort of grimacing away and grumpy and I suppose that that's the contrast in our personalities really whenever I did get grumpy and my sense of humour started to fail Richard always found a way of just reminding me not to take it all too seriously if possible just just enjoy it we're out cycling do you remember the Cherbourg time trial as well that was one of my I look back so fondly on that Um, the beginning of the Tour de France which one? Oh, it was the one that started in the west of France somewhere and we'd been lent these fantastic carbon fibre folding bikes, hadn't we? And Richard and I each had one and our colleague Tom Carey and you... Well, Tom Carey had a a proper bike and you had had an electric... You had a brilliant idea. What was it? My idea was um, 
get an electric bike, have it in the camper van, and I'd be able to nip up and down the climbs with a camera on my back and get into a spot that possibly I wouldn't otherwise be able to trek down to or back up to and then get to another spot. Anyway, this this electric bike, it was the very early days of electric bikes, I think. Um, it, it was, well, it got nicknamed the milk float. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the battery lasted. I was, I mean, I was flying for about ten minutes or so, and then it would die a death. And then I had to push, push the pedals around on this enormous, well, just a heck of a lump of. It was a weighty thing. Anyway, I, I remember I had the great idea was to do a ride each morning. So I, I designed a little course, sort of twenty twenty five K course for us to get a bit of exercise either before or after breakfast before heading off to the the stage to That's right. And we called you Thierry Gouverneur, didn't we, after the Tour de France route director. And obviously we opened with the time trial in Cherbourg. Um and it was just it was just hilarious watching us getting into aero tucks on on your little fold-up bikes and going around the the harbour i think it was around the harbour it was about a kilometer and a half wasn't it at six six thirty in the morning because we had an early start uh i can't remember who won probably richard or maybe tom tom was going quite well at the time um yeah and as i said haven't ridden with richard all that many times so i kind of remember each one really quite vividly at the Tour de France in 2020, after lockdown, he said he was going to take his bike because I think he felt that maybe we weren't going to be as closely embedded with the race as we would normally be because of the COVID restrictions, which was turned out to be the case. And a bit of exercise on the bike, you know, it does uh, do the world of good, just takes you out of the Tour de France bubble for an hour or so every couple of days and gives you the opportunity to ride on rest days, which we took. And I remember the ride on the rest day in Aix-les-Bains, Richard and I setting off to do a lap of the lake. And as he rather amusingly said very recently when recalling this ride, we got to the first hill and within about 200 metres, I said, I'll see you back at the hotel. <laughs> he rode up to the top of the climb, turned round and saw me stood by the side of the road taking photographs. Um, and he laughed at that. Just my fragility when it comes to cycling with people when they're obviously stronger than me. And our last ride together in October, Simon, me, you, David Luxton and Richard, we took our bikes over for Paris-Roubaix, didn't we? And went and saw the cobbles and had a little dabble with the Arenberg Forest and a few other sections and he was flying along and uh, I think he was really enjoying being the host in northern France. Okay, it wasn't quite his neck of the woods but he'd invited us all over at the end of what for me personally was a pretty terrible year and and we were just kind of, I was just still getting myself back um, to normal I suppose and we talked about future plans and how to I suppose, um, for me personally, put things into perspective a bit more when I'm finding things challenging. And that bike ride day was, it was just a lot of fun. 80 kilometres or so round about the, again, not great weather, was it? But we had a nice lunch and then a very nice dinner afterwards and a few glasses of wine and just thought we would get a chance to do that on a lot more occasions and yeah it's pretty heartbreaking to know that we won't one other thing I wanted to mention 
uh, was just if you're going through something similar to the feelings of grief that we're experiencing at the moment it might help you to listen to a podcast called Griefcast with the actor and comedian Carrie Ad Lloyd who lost her dad when she was a teenager and a few years ago started a podcast in which she spoke to fellow comedians about losing a loved one and I listened to the first episode of that because it featured Adam Buxton who had relatively recently lost his dad and I loved the Adam Buxton podcast as did Richard and I suppose the one thing that they put into context was that balance between grief and laughter and how the needle on the dial can swing quite wildly from one to the other one minute you can feel overcome with sadness and then the next minute you're laughing and then the next minute you're sad again and there's a kind of internal pressure that I feel and I don't know maybe other people feel too but it's something that some of the comedians talked about in that series of podcasts the sense of what's appropriate and I think when dealing with grief what's appropriate is just being honest about how you feel and not having the expectation on yourself to feel a certain way at any certain time and that you shouldn't feel guilty for feeling happy in moments because just being happy doesn't mean that we're not sad about losing Richard. Struggling a bit with your jacket there, Simon. It's chilly, isn't it? It is chilly, yeah. A little blast of sunshine through the cloud, though, as we were coming into Livingston. Must have missed that. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose you did have to look for it a little bit. Uh, We also got a whiff of something, which I think, I'm 100% certain, was a brewery. If it wasn't, it was the vomit factory. It was unpleasant, wasn't it? It it reminded me of my dad's home brew, and there's always a stage in brewing where it it doesn't smell nice, does it? It does smell like vomit. It's the yeasty bit, isn't it? Mm. But here we are. We have made it to Livingston, the Tony Macaroni Arena, sponsored by a chain of Italian restaurants, Tony Macaroni. And, well, Manchester City play at the Etihad Stadium, and the locals call this the Spaghetti Had. I quite like that. Oh, very good. (laughs) I'm reliably informed. I hope I haven't had my leg pulled and I've fallen for a joke there. Uh, But if not... Well, if I have, I, I still like the spaghetti had. I think we can. Uh, I think we can actually have lunch at a branch of Tony Macaroni a couple of minutes down the road. Looking forward to that. Who's there? I really want to. I want to know what Tony Macaroni looks like, don't you? I reckon he wears a sort of a, a big, sort of oversized smart jacket and very flamboyant. I don't know why I'm thinking of the um the opera singer in the car insurance advert in the uk again another reference that won't translate for american listeners or anyone else who doesn't watch british television but he's gonna have a great tan isn't he (laughs) tony macaroni i reckon he moonlights as a sort of lounge bar singer at the weekends maybe he could be the the guy that sings at the Ghent six oh yeah he'd go down a storm at the Ghent six wouldn't he at the halftime entertainment but this is Livingston Football Club and another one of these kind of Meccano Stadia, a modern ground for a modern club. We're in Livingston, which is a new town. And this is another one of Scotland's magpie football clubs, really, because 
Livingston FC were previously Meadowbank Thistle, which is one of the great names of Scottish football, used to play at the Meadowbank Stadium, which hosted the Commonwealth Games in 1986 and has been demolished. And did you know that at one end of the ground there, Simon, they had the actual scoreboard from the Los Angeles Stadium that hosted the 1984 Olympics? And it stood there at one end of Meadowbank Stadium. I just hope they didn't dismantle it. And I hope it's somewhere in storage and they can restore it somewhere. But now Edinburgh City is Edinburgh's third team after Hearts and Hibs. And currently they're playing at uh, Ainsley Park, which is also home to a non-league Scottish club called Spartans. And we'll be there tomorrow. But yeah, Livingston has kind of risen up through the divisions and become... A Premier Division side, whereas Meadowbank Thistle were kind of perennial strugglers, weren't they, in the lower divisions of Scottish football? The full-time whistle blows and David Hay celebrates, and the Livingston fans join in exultation of a famous, famous day. Lillian McAllister, the goal scorers. David Hay and Livingston make history, their first major trophy. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that the Tour de Cost series is sponsored by the Hammerhead Carew 2 cycle computer. It's not been a terribly challenging day for the Carew 2. The yellow line has not been challenged at all because it's just followed the National Cycle Network Route 75 all the way across and there's barely been a pimple on the route so the climber feature hasn't really come into its own either today and yet there's been something very reassuring about following the yellow line on the handlebar computer and knowing that we're always on the right track if you'd like to buy a hammerhead Carew 2 you can for a limited time get a free heart rate monitor with every purchase go to hammerhead.io Add the heart rate monitor and the Karoo 2 to your shopping cart and use the discount code CYCLE to get the heart rate monitor for free. From Annan to Aberdeen and beyond, Lionel and Simon's Tour de Cousse is fuelled by science in sport. From tiramisu cake bakes to beta fuel to Rego recovery drink, science in sport have everything you need before, during and after your ride. You can get 25% off at scienceinsport.com with the code SISCP25. The other thing, Simon, on our way in to Livingston, we came through Bathgate and we went down Burney Hill Avenue. Burney Hill Avenue, spelt the same way as my surname. And, well, I knew that I had some Scottish heritage uh, up near Elgin. There's actually a hamlet called Burney. But a couple of days ago, my mum sent me a text saying that she'd been looking into the Burney family history and wondered if we're going anywhere near Longside, near Peterhead, where my great-great-great-grandfather was a blacksmith. So I always knew growing up that my grandfather on my mum's side was Irish, born in Ireland and came over to the UK um, looking for work, really, and settled in Workington, uh, well, near the... Windscale nuclear power plant, now known as Sellafield, of course, and uh, in sight of the Lake District and uh, some of England's most beautiful countryside. I was less familiar with the fact that my dad's ancestors had come from Scotland, so my mum is a very keen genealogist. Um, she's looked back at our family history on both sides and has put together really quite comprehensive 
family trees over the last 15 or so years and she's traced my dad's family all the way back to Peterhead which will feature on the second half of our tour later this year but Simon you've got some more recent Scottish ancestry I can already hear Richard laughing at us putting a kilt <laughs> suddenly suddenly putting a kilt on ourselves out of nowhere um, he'd be He'd be amused and mortified in equal measure, I think, and slightly irritated. We're trying to claim Scottish, uh, you know, blood. But uh, I've, as I've travelled around, I feel increasingly proud of having some Scottish blood, to be honest. But your Scottish roots are a little bit fresher. But we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to the outskirts of Edinburgh, Simon. In the meantime, I want some Tony macaroni cheese. <laughs> Yeah, this is Tony Macaroni. I am the Mac Man, the Mac Status. You know, MAQ. You don't pepperoni, you macaroni. So anytime you associate cheese with my name is money. Tony Macaroni, I never leave you lonely. Must apologize, Simon. I had a bit of a sense of humor failure about 10 kilometers ago when we came along the cycle path. The Collington and Craig Lockhart Dells cycle path, I think it is. Let's try and shelter around this side of the tree, I think. Keep the wind off the mic if we can. <sighs> Difficult. But it was basically a long gravel section, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. We couldn't couldn't decide whether to take it or not for the obvious reason, the, the P word that I accidentally said and you, you told me off for saying it. Well, you didn't tell me off, you just shushed me down. Don't say the P word. No, the P word, puncture... Uh, I suppose it's a bit like actors and Macbeth. They don't mention... They call it the Scottish play, don't they, instead? They don't mention it by name because it's become uh, a big superstition to uh, mention the play Macbeth. And, yeah, I don't think cyclists should mention the P word, especially when you've got three miles more to go on gravel and you said, I'm enjoying this, I just don't want to puncture... Um, but I was just thinking riding along there it was gravelly, it was a bit loose, a bit muddy but it was a beautiful way into the city kept us off the main roads Uh, but I was thinking, you know, all the times on the podcast when I've interviewed riders or mechanics even who said, oh, gravel shouldn't be in Grand Tour stages it's, you know, fine in a one-day race but Grand Tour shouldn't be decided by misfortune on the gravel and my attitude has always been the race director decides the route and the cyclists race the route uh, within reason of course you know if it's outright dangerous the riders have every right to protest but other than that you know gravel no worse than cobblestones really much nicer than cobblestones we had a couple of cobbly sections there under the under the canal bridges a few seconds of cobbles and I, i was jiggling all over the place and i don't i don't like it and over the aqueduct as well very narrow cobble section Uh, you rode along there and I was thinking if you get this wrong and fall to the right you're you're going into the water and I'm possibly not getting in after you (laughs) Um, but no the there was a cobble section there's also a fantastic tunnel wasn't there completely decorated all the way both sides and on the on the archway with uh, some really striking street art really well done and then we popped out and a few hundred meters later we got our first sight of arthur's seat that sort of looms over edinburgh and now we've popped out into a very pleasant 
sort of square park in the middle nice playground here and the kind of the stone is sort of unmistakably Edinburgh to me that but there's also a whiff in the air isn't there there is a whiff but we had a whiff of this earlier and now we've got a, a fresh whiff it's really quite strong and that's because the Caledonian Brewing Company is just behind there. I think that might be one of the old chimneys, in fact, there. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. It should be in that direction. But you have a connection to this brewery, and not just because we had a pint of the Caledonian beer last night in our hotel, which... Oh, I didn't like it, did I, that much? You liked it. I did like it. You weren't too keen. I was surprised. But you have a family connection to that brewery. Well, uh, this is right. My... Um great great grandpa John Boyd Bower Um, he was he worked for most of his life at this brewing company the Caledonian Brewing Company and he was listed as a brewery brewery foreman easy for me to say brewery foreman in April 1888 and at one point in the 1891 census this was given as, as his actual address so he lived in the brewery <laughs> according to the census that's taking the job seriously isn't it go and live in the brewery I've got a picture of him here for you Lionel this is um, oh there he is, he is. Yeah. and he's oh he's in his military uniform there is that right yeah. looks a bit like yeah. it yeah and that's on your mum's side correct Bower John Boyd Bower yeah resident of Edinburgh well, we've got to have another pint of that tonight, I think. Yeah, a little toast to John Boyd Bow. Indeed. Um, well, let's go and have a little look at the brewery gates, and then it's Tynecastle, home of Heart of Midlothian. Another of the most romantic football club names in the world, isn't it? Heart of Midlothian. Do we get to have a jammy dodger there? That's not they are called the Jam Tarts. Because they play in maroon, I guess, and well, and their badge, their badge is a heart shape, which is, I think, is absolutely fantastic. In the capital of Scotland, by the great Kirk of St Giles, there lies a heart for all to see within the royal mile. Now many men have stood here, from the humble to the grand, and it's known as the heart of Midlothian. It's a heart that's ever beating. Well, there we are. I was saying to Simon, don't say the P word. It's bad luck for cyclists in the same way that actors saying Macbeth is bad luck. They say the Scottish play. And as soon as we'd taken a little picture of Simon outside the Caledonian Brewery, I realised I've got a rear wheel, a rear wheel flat. And uh, Super Sam is going to work his magic <laughs> with, I think, our last inner tube. <laughs> so I think on the puncture front it's Simon 2 me 1 three. I knew I wouldn't 3 3 3, one for, to three for Simon yeah, yeah. oh yeah one before we even started well how much does a change of tyre cost what's that 5 is that like a try oh yeah that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. change of tyre is 5 points and a puncture's 3 points or 1 point um, but we'll be back on the road again very very shortly just I'm ha- I'm not fussed about it going upside down. Are you not? I'm yeah. not because I've been cycling for nearly 40 years and oh, I've always done that. No, you don't. But I'm really not bothered about that. I know it gets a lot of cyclists really irritated. 
I'll take the I will take the hammerhead off though. That's a good point. Oh, it's the wrong way. That's the last thing you want to put. Yeah. Down. There we are. But uh, I think I don't. The idea of the chain and the jockey wheels touching the floor is worse. Yeah. I'll no doubt get thousands of emails about that now. It's happened before, didn't it? On did actually Nottingham on, trip. on yeah. the Nottingham trip we did a little picture, didn't we? As yeah. I ham-fistedly changed my tube and. Before we'd even stopped for coffee in Bakewell, Twitter was alive with uh, people telling me I was doing cycling wrong. I'd have been probably cycling 30 years at that point. <laughs> but probably only about 30 metres at that point in that ride. It was, well, it was immediate, wasn't it? <laughs> Came down the hill out of the hotel, and before I'd even reached the first set of traffic lights, it was flat. Going up. While we were in Edinburgh, we dropped into the National Museum of Scotland on Chambers Street and took the lift up to the Science and Technology Exhibition. How many cyclists on the Scottish Sports Hall of Fame? There's uh, Graham O'Brien there. Um, Robert Miller. Surely Chris Hoy's got to be on here somewhere, what? Oh, I see, maybe not been inducted yet, but surely will be. Surely will be. What do you make of that, Simon? <laughs> the bike or the curling stone? Well, <laughs> quite. I mean, we are in the National Museum of Scotland and there's an exhibition dedicated to Scottish innovation design, sporting achievement and industry and I guess this bike, Graham O'Brien's bike, Old Faithful, ticks all of those boxes really because this was the fabled and famous bike that supposedly, well the, the kind of mainstream media latched onto the fact that it had some ball bearings in it from a washing machine. And so they kind of hammed it up a bit to say it was built from old washing machine parts. Um, but, I mean, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. That's one of the uh, tenets of journalism. But looking at it now, obviously the frame would be banned because it's not a, you know, diamond shape. Um, it's got an old turbo saddle on it, which I would have had on my bike and still have got on my rally from the late 80s early 90s specialized tri spokes for wheels and it hasn't got the very unusual tuck handlebars that graham O'Brien basically innovated to try and give himself a much smaller frontal area so that he was aerodynamic and i suppose the thing about graham O'Brien, as we heard from david miller earlier in the week is that he did things his way and he didn't care if people thought what he was doing looked silly or, or stupid or um, wouldn't work. If he believed in it and he'd done his research, he went with it. And so this unusual tuck position, which must have been challenging to ride in, was very successful for him. 
uh, in time trials and when he set the world hour record in 93 and kicked off this massive battle between Chris Boardman and uh, Aubrey for the hour record. It changed hands, went from one to another and for a period of time, over probably 18 months or so, um, these two British time trialists were the well, they were the talk of the cycling world, weren't they? Because they were doing something which uh, the likes of Merckx and Moser had done in the past, break the world hour record on the track. And I mean, the extraordinary thing about Aubry when he failed the first time is that he got up the next morning and had another go and broke it. That was in Norway. And I mean, that, the bike, I mean, it's, it's of its time, isn't it? But at the time, it looked futuristic. Bike design was going in some strange directions, and uh, those kind of frames. Well, there's not much to it, really, is there? You mean taking out the the little drawer thing from the from the washing machine where you put the the, <laughs> the, powder. the, the powder drawer? Mm. Yeah, not quite, not quite. <laughs> but there it is on the wall here and underneath it is the curling stone that won the gold medal at the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City 2002. That was the stone used by the skip Rona Martin. I mean I know you're amazed that it's not the stone that I used in uh, Dumfries at the start of the week but I mean probably not worthy of being displayed in a museum that one is it? Look very similar, but I, I doubt this one was sort of um, coaxed into the into the correct part of the rink by by a nice man. Might wanted to make you feel better about yourself. <laughs> no, that was a genuine stone uh, that won the gold medal. So yeah, they've they've not changed in the slightest, have they? I mean, the 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 stone you used, nothing to change really, is there? No, not at all. But I mean, even looking at this, can you see the, the shoe is integrated into the pedal? Oh, yeah. The Karnak shoe is actually integrated into the pedal and then onto the crank. He'd thought about things... He was a marginal he, gainer before. It, he was a marginal gainer before marginal gains, yeah. He thought why and not rather than, you know, why, I guess. Just because things had always been done a certain way, he didn't accept that. And he pushed and pushed at the boundaries. And of course he forced the governing body to bring in rules to outlaw the positions, the Superman position that he and Boardman both used with the arms fully outst outstretched on the, uh, on the skis was banned. His position, uh, the, the tuck position, almost certainly outlawed now by the, the, the bike regulations. But it was all, the pursuit was how can I go faster? Not just being fit enough and looking at the physiology and training, but what equipment and what innovation could he come up with just to go quicker? And was he the guy that was... Because it, it does look... Some of these bits looks like they've made in a your, your dad's garage kind of thing. Was he the guy doing, you know, making the... He made bits, he, yeah, he made yeah. bits. I think he got... Um, he got bits made by by people who believed in what he was doing, and um, but yeah, he he basically he basically 
machined things himself and made his bike. Uh, sourced the things that he wanted to put on it and yeah the the I've often wondered whether the pursuit of the perfect bike for him you know might have been a quite a <coughs> might have been quite a handy diversion from the kind of physical training you know one of the things about physical training is there's no mental stimulation really is there but Aubrey was sort of ticking both boxes and that was a world record breaking bike at one time extraordinary you probably wouldn't think of Edinburgh when you think of Sherlock Holmes. The Victorian detective lived at 221B Baker Street in London, after all. But his creator, Arthur Conan Doyle, was born in Edinburgh and studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh Medical School. When I was a teenager, I had a collection of Sherlock Holmes stories that had originally been published in The Strand magazine. Now, my book didn't actually contain the adventure of the solitary cyclist, and from a bit of research, I gather that Conan Doyle wasn't terribly fond of how it turned out, and the publishers initially didn't want to publish it because it didn't feature enough of Sherlock Holmes in the plot. But the story was recently recommended to me by friend of the podcast, Scott Dougal, so I found it online, downloaded it and read it, and it's absolutely charming. Although it's not set in Edinburgh, we passed very close to Picardy Place, where Conan Doyle was born, on our way out of the city and towards Leith. Anyway, this is a bit of the adventure of the solitary cyclist. A solitary cyclist was coming towards us. His head was down and his shoulders rounded as he put every ounce of energy that he possessed onto the pedals. He was flying like a racer. Suddenly he raised his bearded face, saw us close to him and pulled up, springing from his machine. That coal black beard was in singular contrast to the pallor of his face and his eyes were as bright as if he had a fever. He stared at us and at the dog cart. Then a look of amazement came over his face. Hello, stop there, he shouted, holding his bicycle to block our road. Friday morning, before stage eight, the penultimate stage of this leg of the Tour de Cosse. Yesterday, we came in through Edinburgh, via Heart of Midlothian's Tynecastle Park and Hibernian's Easter Road. Uh, two fantastic football grounds close to the heart of Edinburgh. And then we made our way back down to the waterfront here. And the route ended up being 90 and a bit kilometres when it should have been 80 and a bit kilometres. Not quite sure how we managed to add on so much distance. I'll have to have a look at the hammerhead file when I get a moment. But this morning, before we roll out and before I have breakfast with Simon and Sam... I came, I've come down to the waterfront just to have a look at the Royal Yacht Britannia, which is docked just over there. I can't get any closer because the sign says access to the Britannia is via Ocean Terminal Shopping Centre. And I'm not going through the shopping centre to get closer to the boat. I can see it from here. And this was one of the Royal Family's vessels. Um, a very good friend of mine, Simon Ricketts, once described it as one of the Queen's old boats, which I suppose it is in a way because it was decommissioned in the late 90s and now it's a tourist attraction. There's restaurants on board and I think you can even stay on board, but you can certainly uh, pay and go and have a look round uh, the royal family's old boat. And it was built in Clyde Bank, the heart of Scotland's shipbuilding industry. 
And I mentioned Simon Ricketts there because when I first started planning the Tour de Cos route, I really wanted to make it as far as Leith and come to Leith because this area meant something to him too. Simon was a very good friend of mine and he passed away at the end of 2018 after being diagnosed with cancer. And he was a very, very good friend of mine and colleague. We worked together first on the Watford Observer and we worked on numerous projects over the years and he was one of the most brilliant journalists I've ever worked with. His own writing was fantastic, but he poured all of his energy into making other people's work better. He could make it so you could no longer see the clunks and joins in other people's writing. And towards the end of his life, uh, well, he worked for The Guardian for a long time, and that was his dream job. And I know that everyone there at The Guardian appreciated his brilliance. He was also a cycling podcast listener and quite a, could be quite a critic at times picking me up on things and asking me to explain things a bit more thoroughly for perhaps those who aren't as au fait with the intricacies of professional cycling because Simon wasn't a cycling fan he came to it through his friendship with me he'd watched the Tour de France and as lots of people do when they first discover professional road cycling they have loads of questions why is this happening why don't the riders in the breakaway just pedal a bit harder and get a 10 minute gap instead of a 5 minute gap you know what do the uh, support riders do and so on and so he'd listen to the podcast and he'd give me a bit of feedback and he came to count Richard and Daniel as friends too even though he'd never met them and of course he developed a bit of a man crush on Francois Thomaso which I think was probably inevitable I mean who wouldn't Simon wasn't Scottish, unlike me, he was actually from Watford. But he developed a deep affinity for Scotland when he met his partner, Andrea, who is Scottish. And she's another very talented writer, a screenwriter. You might have seen uh, Swallows and Amazons, the adaptation she wrote for children. And Elizabeth is Missing, an absolutely fantastic film starring Glenda Jackson. It won a BAFTA, tackling the subject of dementia really beautifully written piece and I know Simon gave her feedback as well anyway every year they would head up to Edinburgh for Hogmanay which Simon loved he embraced all of the traditions and the haggis and that special feeling in this city over New Year which he told me about I've never experienced it myself but he loved it anyway Simon passed away at the end of 2018 and his memorial service was during the Giro d'Italia in 2019 and as it would happen the following day Watford were playing in the FA Cup final and you might remember if you listened to our Giro coverage that year I abandoned Daniel somewhere on one side of Italy drove all the way to Rome basically the width of Italy with Simon flew home on the early flight I got back to Heathrow, I got a taxi motorbike to whiz me through the town and I arrived just in time for the memorial service at St Bride's which is a chapel in Fleet Street in London. That was, back in the day, the heart of the newspaper industry and the chapel is uh, dedicated to journalists and so it's the most appropriate place for all of Simon's friends and family to gather. One of Simon's favourite songs was Sunshine on Leith by the Proclaimers. The Proclaimers are twin brothers Craig and Charlie Reed who were born in Leith and are big fans of Hibernian Football Club. 
In fact, Sunshine on Leith has been adopted as an anthem by the Hibs supporters, and there's some lovely footage of their fans singing it after winning the Scottish Cup at Hampden a few years ago. Anyway, at Simon's Memorial Service in London, it was sung beautifully by the choir of St Brides, and there was not a dry eye in the place. Premier Division, Aberdeen 2, Kilmarnock 0, Celtic 5, Morton 1, and the United against Motherwell, evening kickoff at 7.30, Hibernian 0, Rangers 0, St Mirren 0, Dundee 0. That's all for Stage 7 of the Tour de Cos, recorded by me, Lionel Burney, and Simon Gill. The series was produced by Tom Wally. A big thank you to Sam Slatter for driving our broom wagon and giving us some much-needed backup and support, and to the Choir of St Brides for the recording of Sunshine on Leith. Join us next time when we head across the fourth bridge, or one of the bridges anyway, and explore Fife for the first time. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Burnett.